This is a reading from the Good News according to Matthew. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greater, greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Those who wish to come after me must deny themselves, take up his or her cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Or what can one give in exchange for their life? And this is the good news of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody was having a good day then. Poor Peter. Uh, the concept of Satan really wasn't alive in Jesus' time, so we know that that was added later. Whatever he had said in the context of that to get his teaching across um, has been translated through the, through the years uh, to get behind me, Satan. We use that all the time, don't we? If, if we're in C's candy shop, it's like, get behind me, Satan. And we do that. You know, we do that. But Peter was shocked. I mean, here is this man. He was a fisher, fisherman. Um, his own boss, and this Galilean came by one day and said, uh, come follow me, and he did. And he was expecting things to happen. And he was expecting to be around for a long time. He was expecting Jesus to be around for a long time. So when Jesus, and he also had a respect for the religious and political hierarchy of his day, right? So when Jesus says, you know, the time's coming when we're going to go to Jerusalem. Now, they had not been there before, right? We're going to go to Jerusalem, and I am going to be persecuted and most likely put to death. Not by some mugger in the alley, but by the chief priests, by the scribes of the Pharisees. He didn't mention Rome, but there was kind of, you know... The people that, in the culture of the day, had status. That was... Can you imagine... Uh, I'm going to go to Kingman, and uh, while I'm there, the mayor and the city council are going to persecute and kill me. That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it didn't to Peter either. And he said, and he said Jesus, that will never happen. He couldn't fathom that reality. That will never happen. And Jesus stopped him in his tracks. Because Peter was thinking something that was not logical. Even, to, even in, in the scheme of what was going to happen, Peter's comment was not logical. And Jesus stopped him in his tracks. Now, what was going on with Jesus? If I'm going to go into Kingman knowing that I'm going to be persecuted and murdered, I'm going to have a lot of stress going on, aren't I? Because I'm called to go to Kingman, there's something I must do in Kingman. Kingman is the destination, the final destination of my ministry. And I know that the mayor and the city council are going to do me in. 
that, that's going to create a lot of stress. Jesus, I don't doubt for one minute, held that same level of stress. He knew what was coming. He knew that what he was teaching, he knew that the insights that he was getting were so counter everything the Jewish people had been taught. And he knew he would be persecuted for that. He knew that there were people out there that were wanting him to take up a sword and get rid of the Romans. Um, but he, he knew, he knew these things were coming down. Can you imagine the stress that man must have been under? And then here comes somebody totally invalidating his experience. Oh, that will never happen. Get behind me. You know, I am trying my best to screw up for this event, trying my best to listen to the will of God in my life and take that step forward no matter where it leads. Do not come to me and try to talk me out of it. That's basically what Jesus was saying. That's basically what he was saying. And then he started in, those who wish to come after me must deny themselves. You know, I, I don't doubt that Jesus was kind of looking forward to a longer life, maybe retiring in Capernaum, or, you know, just settling down somewhere, or whatever, being a teacher, whatever, whatever he was called to do. Three years after he was called into ministry, he was dead. Whoever comes after me must deny themselves, take up his or his cross, and follow me. What is that cross? Sometimes we interpret it as, well, you know, he was crucified on a cross. The The cross is our destiny. The cross is what we're called to. And it may be something likened to what Jesus experienced. It may be leading, leading a really good life, being very present in the communities, doing good deeds, living just enjoying nature, enjoying life, having lots of grandkids, whatever it happens to be. That's the cross. It's not necessarily a bad thing. For Jesus, it was a challenging thing. Take up their cross and follow me. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? What is life? What is life? Life is not just surviving, you know, coming from bliss, going into this world of pain and suffering and going back to bliss. That's not life. Life is that source within us that enlivens us, that reaches out in our, in our environments where we connect with one another. Namaste, the life within me honors the life within you. That's what life is. Life is eternal. Jesus has said that. Death has been conquered. We are eternal spirits. We are limitless. There is no end to our spiritual being. The body, yes, will drop that. And we'll probably, who knows, we may gain another, who knows. But life itself is that that animation, that spirit within. So um, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's what he was coming to terms with. Here's a man who was starting to, probably in his prayer life, starting to hear the will of God, leading in a direction that he probably didn't want to go. Gethsemane was a good model for that. You know, I really don't want to do this. I'd rather just be a nice teacher and, you know, um, but God was calling them someplace else. I'd like to sit on the beach and knit doilies. God calls you to something else. Whoever loses that for my sake 
will gain it. Because the life that God gives, the life that Jesus invites us to, is beyond just what we can even comprehend. Life can be like. And that's what he's saying. Whoever, you know, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And then here's poor Jeremiah. Oh, you duped me, God, and I let myself be duped. You were too strong and you triumphed. All the day I'm an object of laughter. Everybody mocks me. Whenever I speak, I must cry out. Violence and courage. Yeah. I say to myself, I will not mention God. I will not speak God's name no more. Well, what happens? Have we ever been in those places? I know I have. Have we ever been in that place where something happened in our lives that was so overwhelming that we didn't want anything else to do with God for a while? Don't even whisper to me. I don't want to hear it. Have we ever been there? Am I the only one? Yikes. (laughs) Well, when that happens, and it probably will at some point, there's a there's there's a a spiritual evolution that we all go through, and we grow. And and Paul talks about that. When we were children, we were treated as children. When we were adults, we were treated as adults. Same in the spiritual path. But there's a spiritual growth that we go through, and necessarily we have to experience those dark nights where even the the awareness of God is not there. That somehow we, we cannot touch base with the divine. It doesn't mean that God's not right there. It doesn't mean our guardian angels are not right there. It means that they have taken a step back to let us experience what we need to experience to gain the insight and the wisdom that we need for the next step in our spiritual growth. Jeremiah was right in the middle of that. Now, he was, he was a prophet, he was called upon by God to basically go to Nineveh and tell them they're really screwed up and if they don't do anything right, they're going to get... And Nineveh was a huge, it was like Phoenix size. He didn't want to do that. And everywhere he went, people laughed at him. And he's like, I'm not getting my message across. I say to myself, I will not mention God, I will not speak in God's name anymore. But then it becomes like a fire. Have you ever been through that? I know when I totally decided I didn't want anything to do with God, even in my most angry time, there was that nudge, that nudge. Of course, that made me angrier, right? It's like, leave me alone, just go away. Yeah. There was that nudge. That nudge is always there. It's not God saying, oh, you've got to do this. It's the presence of spirit itself. That is the nudge. And the nudge not only comes from without, the nudge comes from within, within because we have the Spirit of God within us. And it will move us through whatever dark night we are in. It will move us. It cannot do anything else. The vibration of that energy is too high. It will not subside. It will keep nudging us and moving us forward. Until the time comes when we can, we can say with all of our being, God is present. God is present. God was never not present. Even though it felt like it, God is never not present. Not only present out here, 
and we can see that in one another and in, in the world around us, but also present here. And that's hard to deny. You cannot. It's impossible to deny that at some time. We can for a while, but it is possible if we are leading lives of joy or happiness or you know, serenity or whatever, you cannot deny the presence of that energy, that God within, the God certainly without. It's there. So poor Jeremiah. But then it becomes like a fire burning in my heart. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? You've gotten in touch with something spiritual and it just burns like a fire within you. Imprisoning in my, imprisoned in my bones, I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. When we have that presence of God within us and when God is nudging us, nudging us through whatever we're going through and to the place where we can experience that within us, and with, usually when we experience it within, we see it everywhere, right? Imprisoned in my bones. What a image of that. What an image. Imprisoned in my bones. Like a fire burning in my heart. I grow weary holding it in. We cannot deny the presence of the divine and not be weary from it. Because the presence is there. And it pulls us. And it nudges us. And it encourages us. And the more we hold back or try to deny that or try to not even go there, that becomes exhausting, doesn't it? Have you ever been in a, a, a spiritual um, turmoil, maybe, or um, where things weren't going right or things weren't working and you, know, you could feel God moving you and you just don't, didn't want to move? Doesn't that become exhausting? What Jesus is saying through all of this and what the prophets are saying, and what God is saying through all of this, is that lighten up. Lighten up. We know, even in our hardest days, and yesterday was a hard day for me, uh, even in our hardest days, the presence of God is among us, and within us, and with us. And no matter what happens, we can trust that presence. We can trust it. Because that will in and of itself, sustain us through even the hardest times. Any thoughts?